So um, when Todd got up here and he's talking about it being Palm Sunday and he told the story about um, how Jesus came into Bethany and then they were crying Hosanna, Hosanna, and he went to the temple. I got a funny story. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. So when Will was about three years old, he was in the bath. And so I was in there talking to him and we were playing and stuff. And I don't really remember the conversation, but we were talking about Jesus and Will said, well, I want to be like Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's so good. What do you want to do like Jesus? And I was thinking healing people or, you know, whatever little folks plant food. My kid says, I want to make a whip and whip people. <laughs> I was like, I think Gail taught that Sunday. <laughs> and I'm not real sure what they learned, but that's what he took. And he said, that's what I want to do. So um, it took me a minute that I figured it out. Anyway, so when he said that, it reminded me of Will's. That's how he wants to be like Jesus. <laughs> So we have, um, just in our culture, we like to, we have celebrations and we have anniversaries of things, um, like what some of the things that we celebrate this annual? Birthdays, anniversaries, Birthdays. 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 let's just read, repeat it and read that every year. Christmas, I thought you heard somebody say Christmas and Easter and, and um, why do we celebrate these things? And we're having participation, you can speak. So, so why do we why do we celebrate these things? To remember our memorials. But do we actually do that? Like I remember, I remember my wedding day, and my wedding day was probably the happiest day of my entire life. And I'm not just saying that; it really was. Like it was great. It was low key. I didn't like it was it was a beautiful day. We had anyway. I won't get into what our wedding was, but it was a great day. And you know, we've been married for 12 years. 13 in, in October, and I think when our anniversary comes around, I don't think we sit there and remember it. Like, it's like, oh yeah, happy anniversary, you know, let's go to dinner, make sure we have a babysitter, but do we really sit and, and remember the day? And even with uh, your kids' birthdays, like for the parents especially, you remember that day. You know what, what happened, whether it was good or bad, and every year we have this celebration where we celebrate this, this child Zeke is turning nine in uh, two weeks, or a week and a half. And, um, you know, we're planning on having him a little birthday party, and we're going to celebrate him, but I don't know that I ever sit and remember, like, his birth. Um, and so things kind of creep in, and they change what the purpose of, of celebrating these, these days that we do annually. And even if you look at Christmas, you can get so caught up in... Now, we even retell the story, though. Like, we retell the story of Jesus' birth... But do we ever just, like, understand it? Like, take time to really appreciate the birth? Or do we just tell the story because it's what we do on Easter night, Easter night, Christmas night, and then, you know, you got to go to bed early, and you get to see family, and you have all this food, and the story can kind of get missed, the actual true heart of the remembrance of Christmas and, and Easter, you know, all kinds of get missed. And I think remembering is really, really important um, it's probably one of the most important things that we can do is to remember. Um, not just those types of um, days in our life, but especially who God is and what He's done. And um, personally, you know, we're walking through something right now that is kind of, it's difficult. And, you know, we're already having a difficult season anyway. You know, it was, just, it was just a hard season. So it's already in this place of having this hard season, and then this other thing happens, and it kind of gets dropped on us. 
And, you know, immediately you get this and you get really nervous. You can get fearful. You get anxious. And I did. I felt all of those things. But what I had to practically do every day is remember. Oh, but I remember when I was pregnant with Zeke and they said that I had Lyme's disease. And I, figured, and, and I found out what would happen to a child that had Lyme's disease when a mother was pregnant and got Lyme's disease. But God was faithful and Zeke was born and there was nothing wrong with him. I remember these other times where I, there was this thing that happened, but God saw me through. And constantly remembering God's faithfulness. God did this. So even though this is what I'm facing right now, I remembered all the other times that God had been faithful to me and to my family in one way or another. Um, and so it's important to remember. And with that being said, it's important that when you're going through a struggle that you look for God in it. Because let me tell you, I was having a really, really tough week this past week. It's really hard. And so Monday, we were probably late for school because we usually are on Monday. And so we had parked the van. I'm getting to a point. Um, so I had part, we had part moved the van because, I don't remember, anyway, not important. We moved the van, the van was out of the garage, and normally I leave my keys in the garage. Well, I run out with the kids, trying to get them to school, the van's locked, and I don't have the key, and I don't know where the key is. So I put my purse on top of the windshield, and I run back in, and I call Clint, and I have a brand new phone, let me just say this really quickly. My other phone was cracked really bad, and I'm notorious for breaking my phone screen. It's a brand new phone, had it for like two days. And I call Clint, and I'm like, where are my keys? The boy's already late, I've got to find the keys. And then I found them, and I go out, and I get in the van, and I start driving. So I live in Mebane. If you're from Mebane, and you've ever been on 3rd Street in the morning, how busy is 3rd Street in the morning? Extremely busy, both ways. And so we're trying to get to school, so we're driving, and all of a sudden, something flies off of my van. And I look at the boys, and I went, what did you put on the van? Something has flown off of the van. You and your daddy put something on the van, and now I don't know what it is, and now it's just destroyed, right? So then I pull into the, the line, and I go, it was my pocketbook. <laughs> and I lost it. I cried so hard, because you think about what's in there, like all of my, and I'm a sloppy person. Like, my pocketbook is not neat. I was thinking about all the receipts that I had in there, like my credit cards, a checkbook on Third Street, and people are like driving over it. And I'm going, I, I cried. Zeke was like, that was the saddest cry I've ever heard. <laughs> and so I'm crying, and then I finally pull it together because I'm trying to, I'm dropping my kids off for school. And so I had this moment of clarity where I went, Nope, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. Y'all go to school. We're go I'm going to get it. Like, it's fine. Like, it's great. I'm just going to have to go on Third Street somehow and get all my stuff up, but it's going to be okay. So I sent them off to school um, and then parked at the school and then walked. And I'm just seeing everything getting run over. It's shown everywhere. And I just sat there and I was like, well, I run out and get something. And I run back to the side of the road and I put it down. And I run out and get something. And I did this until traffic finally died. And then when the traffic's dead, the policeman comes and stops two, two cars for me to pick up the rest of the stuff. After all the other hundreds of people in Mebane had driven by. But here, so here's the thing about the story. So my, um, like things were crushed. My peppermint beadlets were crushed. I had another oil bottle in there. My brand new headphones for the phone was crushed, and so, but my wallet was zipped. Come on. My wallet is never zipped. <laughs> never do I zip my, it's just like a little thing where you put cards in, I, it was zipped. 
with it, and I had money in there. I never have money, and the thing's never zipped. And I'm telling you, an angel came and zipped up my wallet. So my credit cards were not everywhere. And so as much as I wanted to be frustrated, I kept going, thank God that my, that my credit cards are all safe. Like, other things got ruined, but I didn't have to cancel credit cards. I didn't have to go and run all over and try to pick up credit cards. You know, I left the change on the road. And it was, I mean, it's really kind of comical if people drove by and was like, what are you doing? But anyway, so when you're going through, there's going to be struggles. And so my point of that story is to say that when you're going through something, you look for that, yes. your wallet so that, got, that was still zipped. Right. Other things got destroyed, and it was humiliating and embarrassing, and I almost got killed probably by a couple of times by the cars. Thanks, Judah. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but my wallet was zipped. And so I had the rest of that day had to find joy in the fact that my wallet, that my credit cards and everything yeah. for a second. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. So, and um, continuing with the stories, I'm going to tell another story. And uh, this is the story of Passover, uh, where the, well, I guess Christians can celebrate Passover if you wanted to. It would be a good idea, maybe. Um, but this is a holiday that was set in the um, Old Testament. And so it's tomorrow. Passover is tomorrow. It starts at 6 p.m. tomorrow. So I'm going to tell you the story of Passover. And if you know me, when I tell a story, I can't just start where you think the story should start. I go like years back just so you can get a good example and good understanding of the point I'm trying to make. So I'm going to spend time building the story, and then my point will be probably about three minutes. Sorry. So the story of Passover. Who's familiar with the story of Passover? It's Exodus. Um, so... All right, before I get started, let me, let me, I'm going to set the stage here, okay? In the beginning, <laughs> when God created the heaven and the earth, um, and I'm serious, like that wasn't a joke, we're starting there. When God created heaven and the earth, when God created everything, he had already had in his mind what was going to happen. He already knew that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the serpent was going to come and tempt Eve. And he already knew that Eve was going to, yeah. to eat of the fruit and knew that Adam was going to eat of the fruit. He already knew that. But yet when God created, when he got down to the, after creating Adam and Eve, and it says he created all things, what did God say about his creation? It's good. But he still knew. Like, have you ever thought about that? He still knew that they were going to fall and that Satan was going to have the earth and that his children were going to be deceived and be without hope. And he still created. And he still gave the choice. And so before anything was created, not only did he know that, he also knew that Jesus was going to come to take back what Adam and Eve had lost in the garden. He knew Jesus was going to come to restore that. And you know, I read something sometime I just want you to think about it because I know when I first read it I was like but just think about it so knowing that this that God that God knew everything and so he revealed himself to to Adam and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day and he he met with Eve and he did all those things and so they knew God and they knew God was their source I mean everything was perfect they knew everything uh, you know about God but when 
Eve sinned against God, there were parts of God that were now available to them that would not have been available. I'm not saying what she did was right, but I'm saying God knew it. And so what was then available for them to experience or for us to really experience is God's grace, God's mercy, God's unconditional love, God's forgiveness. So there was this whole other thing that happened after they sinned. Not to glorify or make excuse, but I'm just saying God knew that. And so there's this other part of God that we now can see because of it. Okay? So everything that God did was because he loved mankind. He created Adam and Eve, right? He created us. And so everything that he did was for us. And knowing that Jesus was going to come one day to restore back his kingdom, okay? So then he spoke to Abraham and had conversation with Abraham, and then he had conversation with Isaac and conversation with Jacob, okay? And then do y'all know the story about Joseph being sold into slavery? That's how the Jews ended up in Egypt. Okay, so they're in Egypt. Joseph had been prospered. The Israelites were, um, were prospered as well. So let me stop. Let me stop right here. So I'm going to tell the story of Passover. And the reason, there's a couple things I wanted to do, and I'm going to condense some. So there was the Passover event that happened. And then the Israelites were told that they had to celebrate it every year on the 14th of this Jewish month. Starts with an N that I can't pronounce. So they had to repeat it. They had to do a festival every year on the 14th to remember this Passover event. And so a part, and it's called a Seder meal, and they still celebrate it today, and I've been a part of two Seder meals, and they're really cool. If you ever get invited, go to one, because it's really interesting. Um, But a a part of the Seder, the kids ask questions. Well, why is this night different from all the other nights? And they have four questions that they ask, because the whole point of the Seder is to remember and to teach your children what God's done. It teaches them who God is, okay? So then the Israelites, while they were in Egypt, um, the Pharaoh that had known Joseph had died. Um, God blessed Israel in numbers, and they started multiplying, and they were grew to be a large nation within Egypt. And the next Pharaoh that came um, thought, well, if they ever get upset with us and rise against us, they're going to like, they, they could destroy us. We've got to do something. So um, that Pharaoh decided that one of the ways to take out the nation of Israel is to kill all the baby boys who were born. And so this is the story that they tell in Passover, okay? So they have to kill all the baby boys that were born, and so they told the two midwives that whenever an Israelite boy is born, to go throw it in the Nile. And they couldn't do that. Like, the midwives didn't, and they hid the children in secret, and then finally, no, they told the, sorry, told the midwives to kill the babies. The midwives didn't kill the babies. And so um, what happened next was Pharaoh said, then we're going to take the boys and we're going to throw them in the Nile. So all of the baby boys who were born during this time period, after they were delivered, I don't know who came and got them, but somebody came and got them and threw these children in the Nile River, okay? And so there was a lady who had a son, and I think the Bible says she just saw that there was something special about him. And so she hid him for three months. And after three months, she made a basket out of reeds and put like tar and something on it so it wouldn't um, get water in. And she sat her baby into the basket and she put it in the Nile River. And she told her daughter to watch and to follow the basket. Well, the basket wound up. 
somewhere in the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, and Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby and took him, and she named him Moses because it means to draw up out of the water, and she named the, the baby Moses, and so his sister, who'd been watching, went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, do you want me to find um, someone to nurse the baby for you? And she said yes, and so she took him back to his mother, and his mother got to nurse him until it was time for him to go live in Pharaoh's house. All of this was what God had planned. I don't know if you've ever heard Chris Valadin's teaching from the, um, about um, Moses having to be brought up in the palace. It's really good. Like if you go and find, search Chris Valadin, but he has this whole thing that if Moses was a slave, he couldn't, yeah. wouldn't have been able to free the slaves. He had to grow up in Pharaoh's house to yeah. know how a prince yeah. is yeah. in order to lead the people out. And I think that there was something in Moses that knew even if he didn't know here, something told him here that he was supposed to deliver the people. Because he rose up, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. Years later, he saw um, the Egyptians beating some of the Israelite slaves. And he got, he got angry, and he went, because those were his people. And he went, and he murdered the Egyptian. Well, then the next day, he saw two um, Hebrew, um, Hebrew and Israelites are the same people. Just, I keep going, interchanging them. Um, he went, and he saw them arguing, and he's like, why are y'all arguing? Your family, like, like, you're better than this. Why are you arguing? And they said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And so Moses got scared, and he ran away because Pharaoh was going to kill him because he had killed an Egyptian. So Moses went to the wilderness for 40 years, and um, he ended up meeting a lady and got married and had a son. And, um, but I think the whole time he was, like we, we can read the story in Exodus and like we can read it almost like we celebrate birthdays and you kind of just go, okay, well then he was in the wilderness for years and then he was watching some goats and this burning bush came. <laughs> and you just kind of, you, I mean, he's it. It's probably nighttime, I would think. In my imagination, it is. And the stars are out, and he's sitting there, and he's probably still wondering, what happened to my people? Because he knew his brother, and he knew his sister. He still knew his family. But he was probably wondering. Yeah, he was probably tormented. I mean, how many, of a, how many of you have ever done something wrong? Maybe pre-Jesus, because if it's after Jesus, Todd will hook you up later. But how many of <laughs> has ever done something that's haunted you, that you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've done that? Remember, this is Old Covenant. Jesus hadn't come. His blood wasn't shed. So Moses was there probably regretting what he had done. So um, God came to him in the burning bush and said, I want you to come and deliver my people. Okay. So took some convincing. Moses finally agreed. He goes to Egypt. Now think, he knows this Pharaoh. He was, have you ever thought about that? He was raised in this house. He knew Pharaoh, and he knew all the other brothers and sisters. And, and he went, him and his brother Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, um, God wants you to let his people go so they can go and worship the Lord for three days. And so they had different things. God had, had them do different things to prove that he had power. But some of that power was um, the Pharaoh's magicians could mimic. And um, so the... After some of this, um, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, God said that he hardened Pharaoh's heart, but if you go and you read the story, for like the first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. It was after that where 
God said, okay, that's what you're going to do. I'm going to come and make agreement with what you're doing, and I'm going to harden your heart. So the other times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, the last five plagues. But the plagues, so Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And so first thing that happens was Aaron strikes the Nile, and the waters turn to blood. Okay? These people, these, these Israelites had not heard from God for 400 years. In 30 years, that's when they were free. They'd not heard from God for 400 years, so they only had the stories. Oh, our God spoke to our father Abraham. Oh, our God spoke to our father Isaac and our father Jacob. And they probably heard stories about Sodom and Gomorrah, and they probably heard stories about the flood, but it had been 400 years. I mean, we don't hear from God in three weeks, and we're like, Jesus, where are you? This is 400 years, 400 years. So they don't really have an idea of who God is. God is now revealing himself, not only to Pharaoh and Egypt, but also to the nation of Israel. He's revealing himself. So when he reveals himself, he turns the Nile into blood. And it says that even the water that's in the jugs and jars in people's houses turned to blood. Um, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He says, I'm not... Well, first he goes, this is so funny. I don't know why I think it's funny, but Pharaoh goes, oh, this is too much. Please make it stop and I'll let your people go. So then Moses goes and intercedes, and God changes what he had done, and then Pharaoh goes, no, nah, I was just picking. I'm not going to let you go. Right. You know? And so the next one is swarms of frogs overrun the land. So there's frogs. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't particularly like things like frogs and bugs and <laughs> spiders. But frogs, and it, was, it said they were in their bed, they were in their cupboard, they yeah. were everywhere. I mean, I just want you to imagine this. Frogs everywhere. Okay. And then Pharaoh did the same thing. Oh, this is too much. Go pray and get the Lord to release some, and I'll let your people go. And Pharaoh, um, Moses does. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. And he goes, nope, I'm just speaking. Not where your, your people can't go. So then it was lice infested on all men and beasts. Now the lice, it says the dust. It was the dust. Like, that's a horror movie. They'd be walking, all of a sudden the dust turns into lice and like they get all on you. Now, I believe that those first three plagues, Israel was a part of. I believe that their, their blood, their blood, their water turned to blood. I believe they were over on red frogs and I believe that they were, that lice was infested on them. Because there's a distinction in the fourth plague that says that it was not put upon the Israelites. So the fourth one is, hordes of wild animals invade the city. Pestilence kills all the domestic animals. So that was their livelihood. Like I'm trying to paint a picture. I want you to understand. This is God displaying his power to these people who'd never heard, had never seen him. Um, and the animals were killed, but the Hebrew animals were safe, but the, all the Egyptian animals were killed. And then painful boils afflict the Egyptians. And I think if, if I'm remembering the story right, they put something on fire and they go like this, and so all the ash that comes out lands on people and they get these really painful boils to raise up all over their skin, but not the Egyptians. And uh, this wasn't like every day something happened. This was a period of time. These things would happen, and then Pharaoh would finally go, okay, I can't take any more, pray for us, and they would all be gone. 
And then I think a period of time happened and Moses would come back and go, let our people go, right? So this was a, a stretch of time. So during this time, Moses was able to talk to the leaders of Israel and say, here's what happened to me. I saw this burning bush. So, you know, they started, they started understanding the acts of God. They started seeing that he had power. They started seeing that he then protected them. They started developing some sort of relationship with this God who'd been silent. All right, so the seventh one is fire and ice combined and descend from the skies as devastating hell. Still, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he would not let the children of Israel go. The eighth one is a swarm of locusts devours all the crops and greenery. So they've already lost all of their livestock. Now they've lost their crops and their greenery. And, I mean, Pharaoh, this is when God is hardening Pharaoh's own heart, and he's not letting people go. And then number nine is um, a thick darkness envelops the land. And so now they're roaming around in the dark. I mean, think about the fear of the Lord that was on the land. Because Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but the Egyptians' heart were not necessarily hardened. You know, but then the Israelites were going, oh my gosh, this is our God. I mean, I would be terrified of him, right? But they're just seeing these acts. They're not understanding what his heart is. They can't see it because they're, with, they're in, in this place that they can't see the heart of God in these matters. And I still think we're a lot like that. When we're in whatever struggle it is, you, can, you sometimes miss the heart of God. So you ha- that's why it's important to remember and you, re- you know the heart of God for you is, is um, good. So the tenth and final plague is the Passover. Okay? So now this, this is the story of Passover. Moses, God told Moses to tell Israel, what you have to do is you have to go find you a spotless lamb now, the lamb could be a goat or a sheep, and it had to be a year old or younger without spot or blemish. So this perfect little lamb, and I wish I had a thing. I mean, lambs are really stinking cute. They are really, really cute. I would want a lamb. And from what I understand, goats and sheep are one of the easiest um, animals to domesticate. Even above dogs, they're easier to domesticate, and they're loyal, and they're going to, even if you go away for a while and you come back, they, they, they remember you. Like, they'll come up to you. They're really um, easily domesticated. So these, this family had to come in and find a lamb and take the lamb aside for five days to observe it, to make sure that it was with, without spot or blemish. So how many of you see somebody in the park that has a puppy? And you're like, oh my gosh, look at this puppy. You don't even know this puppy, but you just want to like love it and let it lick you. I mean, and if you don't like dogs, pick a thing of an animal you do like. Cat. But I mean, a lamb. They had to bring this lamb in close for five days. And even if the adults were hard enough to not know it, the the children, I'm sure, loved the lamb. I mean, I remember Malia getting upset about your pig being shot. Slaughtered for food. (laughs) So like you bring, and so these children are getting close to this lamb. Like the, I believe they're probably in love with this little lamb. For five days, they're observing it. They're watching it. They're doing cute stuff. Right. You know, they're, for five days. Right. And at the fifth day, they had to slaughter the lamb. And so what they would have to do is there was um, specific rules for what they had to do. They had to... Um, Slaughter the lamb at the threshold of the house. And before there were 
Um, a lot of sacrifices, not even in Hebrew culture, but in a lot of cultures, whenever there was an animal sacrifice, they did it at the threshold. Um, that was the first altar, which I'm sure has something to do with why husbands carry wives over thresholds when you're married, because it has something to do with covenant and altar. So um, then they had to take a hyssop branch, hyssop branch, and put the, the blood that was caught in the basin, and they had to put it on the doorpost. Everybody look at the cross. Um, right there, they had to put it on the doorpost, one on this crossbar and one on the top of the doorpost. Or like, there's doorpost, there's doorpost. So you've got one at the head and two blood, blood here, blood here. And then they had to go into the house. Okay? And there was certain ways that they had to cook this lamb. They, had, they couldn't break its bones. All of it had to be roasted by fire. They couldn't cook it any other way. It had to be over fire. And they, had, they put this, I forget what it's called, but it's like a crossbar. So the lamb is... Bones couldn't be broke, but they had this crossbar because they had to spread it open. And so the lamb was like this with its feet tied up like this. Okay, and so then they were roasting it over fire. Okay, all of it had to be consumed before morning. So even the organs, everything had to be consumed. So if there was something that you didn't consume, you could burn it in fire, but it had to be burned up before morning. It couldn't be left. And so after they slaughtered the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost and they went inside and they roasted the lamb, there were three things they had to eat. They had to eat um, matzah, which is unleavened bread. They had to eat bitter herbs and they had to eat the lamb. Those were the, the three main things that they had to eat during the first Passover. And so um, what happened that night is if, your, if blood was not found on your doorpost, the death angel came and killed all the firstborn males, humans and animals, that night. So raise your hand if you're a firstborn male. And so the only way to escape this death was to have the blood on the doorpost. And once it's on the outside of the doorpost, you can't go back in and make sure it's still there. Like you're inside the house, and it was faith in the blood that you were safe. And that you were going to be passed over. Now, in some of my research in this, we always thought about it being that that you were the house was passed over because the blood was there. But something that I read was talking about that in that um, that it was actually the Lord stepped into your house. He passed over the threshold of that blood covenant and protected the household because whoever was in the house were safe. But they also had to be circumcised, like you. So they had to go into covenant with God and then step into the house and the Lord passed over. And so in the first part of the story, if you're reading it in Exodus, it talks about that the Lord says, I will pass, I will come and smite the firstborn of Egypt. But then later on when you read it, it says that the Lord would be in the house and when the death angel passed over, he was not allowed because God's presence was in the house. So at midnight, the death angel came. Could you imagine being a firstborn son? Not knowing this God, right. knowing that God turned the Nile to blood, caused the frogs, the locusts, people, things to die, boils to come, right. and you'd been spared for some of these, but not knowing the heart of God and not knowing God, would, I mean, I don't, that would be kind of unnerving, especially the younger you are, I mean, the older, to, to go, oh my gosh, is the blood still there? Like, are, are we safe? Is this really right. happening? Because they only knew the Lord through these acts that he'd given them. And so at midnight, the death angel passed, 
And the Bible talks about the wails and screams that came out of Egypt because the firstborns were killed. And so when they ate the Passover, the Lord told them to make sure that they ate the Passover with their sandals on and their staff in their hand and one other thing. Oh, your belt tied because you were going to leave in a hurry. And so after what happened, Pharaoh was distraught and he went and told the Israelites to go and leave. Don't, we don't want you here to go. But the um, other thing God had told them to do was to go ask their Egyptian friends for their gold and silver to go offer the Lord. And God gave them favor with the Egyptians. So the Egyptians gave them their gold and their silver. So when they got up to leave, they got their animals and their children and all of these belongings. And they left as slaves, very rich. They were slaves who had nothing, but then the the Egyptians gave them their belongings, and so they left. They went out of Egypt completely a rich nation. And so that is Passover. And so they're told to celebrate it every year at the same time of the year to remember what God's done. And there's so much more that I can say um, just in the fact of how They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they still were only familiar with God's acts and not his ways. Because, I mean, they went to the, I'm going to say this part real quick. Because then they get, they've left Egypt. They have all these belongings. They're safe. They're free. And then the Lord leads them to the Red Sea. And so they're camped out in the Red Sea, and then they see Pharaoh's armies coming after them. And they're going, why did you, Moses, why did you even bring us out just so they could come and kill us now? Like they felt trapped. And God parted the water and they moved, they went, I mean, even that, like it's so miraculous to think about, I don't know that I would have even wanted to cross. You know, you got water and walls of water on either side of you. And so that's how they knew God. They knew God through these acts. And the Passover was supposed to be kept because you're supposed to remember what makes this night different than all the other nights. And the, the um, head of the household, the husband, grandfather, I don't know who it was, would tell the story. We tell the story to the kids. This night is different because this was the, the time that God remembered us. We were slaves in Egypt and he pulled us out and he spared our lives. And so it's a big feast and a big um, celebration. There's actually three feasts within this feast week is Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And so not only did God do this for them to remember, he did it pointing to what Jesus was going to come and do later. So only God can do that. Only God can do something like that where he's got this event that happens and you're supposed to remember all these things, but only so you can see the real when it comes to fruition. And so we, I think... What happened with Israel, they, they, they were really good at keeping, keeping these feasts. They were keeping the feast, and they were doing all the things that the Lord had commanded, but they still missed the heart of the Lord in it. Because when Jesus came, the Passover was supposed to be um, a way for them to recognize their Messiah, and they missed it. So it's good to remember. It's so important to remember, but you, you can't, you've got to always see what the Lord is saying about the next season. And what, what's coming. So um, I'll end with this. Jesus, when was Jesus crucified? That's debatable. Yeah. When, was he, when, did, when was Jesus crucified? Thursday. Passover. 
is the word I'm looking for. He was crucified during the same yes. feast. And all the requirements of the lamb, a bone not to be broken. The Bible says none of his bones were broken. That the whole lamb had to be consumed. He gave his all, his total life. That um, the crossbar. Oh, and yes, and they examined him for five days. So when Jesus came in to Bethany and he was anointed the next day, it says it was six days from the Passover. And so the next day was the fifth day before the Passover and he went to Jerusalem in his triumphal entry to be tested by the religious leaders. And they could not find fault in him. For five days, he was tested and stayed in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover for five days. Like, that's good. God is a really good storyteller. And he's written your story, too, just as good as he's written the Passover and just as good as he... But see, the Passover was just a shadow of what, he, what was truly written. It was a way to help us recognize him when he, when he came. So this is why uh, I wanted to share about the story about the Passover because there's so much in it. There's so many things in the Bible that I don't want you to take for granted. The stories that are there, they still... Speak. There's like this big general statement, but they're still revelatory for you. So I want to encourage you to get into the Word and to read about this. The um, Exodus is Exodus 12 is about the Passover, but um, God is just really good. And so wherever you find yourself, He's not done writing your story. Yeah. Right. And remember, don't take for granted the things He's done already.